Hello, and welcome to your Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Good morning. And Tori. Hello, Internet. And maybe Dave, if he ever wakes up. Probably not. Uh, so, starting off with good thing, Craig, since you've got to go, why don't you kick us off? All right, uh, let's go with Kerbal Space Program, because I was playing that recently. I don't think I mentioned it before. It's quite good. Teaches you about orbital mechanics, basically. Uh, it has a steep learning curve, but it's very rewarding once you start playing it. Plus, you get to go to space and land on the moon and land on all the other moons and go to the Jupiter equivalent if you want. Pretty cool. And there's a very healthy modding community. Yes, absolutely recommended. They just released Squad, the the makers of Kerbal Space Program, released a pack that you purchase. I don't think I recommend that because the modding community is so good and you can just get the stuff for free. Now, I like the idea of supporting companies, but I've heard Squad themselves aren't really good. So uh, I advocate the game and I advocate the modding community. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a fun mod that I'm aware of that basically turns uh, KSP into our solar system, like yeah. with with like accurate gravity real. and distance and yeah, real solar system. And it's hard because their planet, like the Kerbal planet, is like three quarters of our size, maybe even a quarter of our size. So it's it's a lot easier. I think it's three quarters. Uh, and when you have a real solar system, it makes it much more difficult to get to space. Yes. It's it's one of many games that falls into the category of excellent game that I personally am terrible at. Hey, we can we can talk offline sometime and maybe I can give you some tips on how to get better. Oh I've got I've got KSP people. I'm I'm covered there. It's I just need to like put in the effort to not be terrible. True. And I, don't, I don't know that I'm ready to do that yet. <laughs> games that I'm terrible at is like a giant category for me. I'm as long bad. as you have fun. <laughs> yes. I, I feel like top of that list of games that are great that I'm bad at is probably Super Metroid. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Like in, in on both metrics, like it is one of the greatest games ever made, and man, I suck. Just so bad. Uh, so Tori, why don't we, why don't we move on to yours? So I'm all caught up on the Netflix original Santa Clarita Diet. Ooh, it was so good. It's so hilarious. I laughed so hard. Uh, my good friend Brittany came over and watched it with me, um, over, over the course of a couple of weeks. We, you know, we always watch a few episodes and then she leaves. Um, so we just finished it this week and oh my gosh, I can't wait for season three. I love that show. I laughed so hard. It's it's very good. I never would have really pegged Timothy Oliphant for like hitting a really good comedy lead, but he does. Like he he nails it. Um so let's see. For mine, uh I think what I'm going to do this week is what I've been playing for the last couple days of Stardew Valley. Um Stardew Valley is uh basically what Harvest Moon would be like today. If the people who made Harvest Moon hadn't, like, completely gone away from their core concept and made terrible games for the last two decades. Uh, I blame the publisher for that one. Yeah, like, it's, it's like, all the best elements of of the entire, like, spectrum of Harvest Moon games, which is 
90% the first Harvest Moon game for the SNES, and then you can go into, like, a procedurally generated dungeon a la Rune Factory. And that's it. Like, you can, like, okay, the primary thing is your farm. You're, you're supposed to, you know, build up your farm and make money and either support or uh, either support the, uh, the big giant corporation Joja Mart that has come to town or um, rebuild the community center with the help of magic sprites. Um, <clears throat> you can get married and this is one of the cool things that this game does is uh, the genders don't matter at all. You want to be a dude and marry a dude, you can be a dude and marry a dude. Uh, my personal husbando is Elliot, who looks oh, like I knew Fabio. You were say that. He looks like Fabio, he lives on the beach, and he's a writer. He is he is the perfect digital man. Oh my gosh, he sounds dreamy. He's amazing. I'm surprised you haven't played this, Tori. It's well, very good. Yeah, and it, it's definitely the kind of game that I would get hopelessly addicted to and spend entirely too much time on. So <laughs> yes, always, that's completely fair. I'm always hesitant to start something like that. It's very fun and very rewarding to play. And um, plus, they just got multiplayer, which I think uh, you were going to say, Mike. They yes, that is. If it, I don't know if it's actually active yet or not. It's in beta. Okay. Um, I haven't messed around with any of the multiplayer yet. I, d- I normally don't. I'm not really much of a multiplayer kind of guy. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say something. Oh, okay, so the pitch for this game, if you haven't ever played, like, any of the original Harvest Moons, like, the good ones, I don't feel like the pitch is, is one that's really going to get you, but, man, you gotta try it. It's very good, and it's like 15 bucks or something, like... You could buy this and then, like, wait a few weeks and still be able to get that AAA game that you want to grab. You know, go go play Dad of War later. Farm now. <laughs> it's relaxing to play. It's super What's good. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I'm actually pretty sure they either just released it for the Switch or they just announced it for the Switch. With, like, a release coming soon? I honestly don't know. I have it on Steam. Cool. I, I do all my things on Steam. So, alright, uh, that's good thing, so I think Craig has to go now. Goodbye. Alright, thanks uh, for having me. So have fun at Infinity War. Yes, big yeah, discussion we... afterwards. Yes. Yeah, we, we can talk spoilers later. And tell us how you feel. Honestly, I was successful in avoiding internet spoilers. I must have missed the memes or something, except for our brief discussion, which even still is speculation on my part. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. So, have fun with the discussion. Okay. When All right. When he gets back, there can be grief counseling and cake. <laughs> well, we're not in spoiler territory yet, so. Well, also, the cake is a lie. Aw. Uh, oh, oh, hey, something I've, yes. been, I've been meaning to mention. Um, a coworker of mine told me about the birthday party she set up for her six-year-old son, and it sounds amazing, and I want to do this for myself. Okay. I'll probably, like, call it for my kids for their birthday, but it's really for me. Uh, so what she what she had set up was 
several hours of swimming, a couple hours of arcade games, pizza, yeah. cake, and then go see a movie at the oh end of the gosh. day. Oh my gosh. That is a great birthday. Right? I'm over here with my December birthday. Like, I hate all of you people. But, I mean, you're you're a grown adult, and between you and Matt, you guys have a pretty solid income. You could just do this one day. I could. I absolutely could. You know what? I'm, I'm planning that day. I am planning a day for that. I mean, That's, I'm skip the that arcade open. games because, like, you know, we can just play video games whenever we feel like. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, but but we can we can break out the multiplayer games that we never play together, and it can be like some bonding time as I kick his ass at Mario Kart. There you go. Um, and but yeah, kick like his ass at Smash Brothers because fair. Go go swim, eat pizza, eat cake, go see a movie. Yes, that sounds like a really good day. It is. That is a great day. Okay, now Elantris chapters thirty seven through thirty nine. Chapters 37 through 39, and I feel like we'll have some good discussion over these, because even though looking at the page count, it's not a lot of pages. Uh, in fact, the the two, um, the, the Raiden and Raithen chapters are really short. Yeah. But uh, even though the Serene chapter is not that long, there is a lot happening in this chapter. Just, it is... Uh, just having my book open, I can see both the chapter heading for for chapter 39 and 40 at the same time. Right, right. But, um, yeah, this serene chapter is really meaty, so let's get into this. Chapter 37. Rayadin's really struggling with the pain, which comes and goes in overwhelming waves. Galadin and Carida are surprised to hear this. Everyone else feels the pain constantly. They also noticed that Rayadin was glowing, which leads them to suspect people who are more in tune with the door feel greater pain from the corrupted Shayode. Raiden mentions that he doesn't believe Raithen was healed. The other Derethi followers might have pulled him from Elantris, claiming he was healed, in order to save face. And that's basically it for Raiden's chapter. Okay, I actually have a couple of things here. Uh, number one is when Raiden, like the start of his chapter, he's talking about the, the waves of pain. There's two separate things that are happening here. There's the waves of pain, and then there's intense pressure. Uh, so I'm pretty sure the glowing was happening during the second part. And then number two, I feel like there should have been at least a few Elantrians who like immediately converted to Shukarath. Is that the is that the right one? Uh, Shudareth is the, uh... I flipped them. Okay. Shudareth. Yeah. So, like, I I would imagine that they're like, alright, Agiorn took five days of praying and he got better. So, I got time. What if I just kneel in front of the gates and pray for, like, three months? Maybe that'll do it? Yeah, yeah, it is surprising that we don't see any of that going on. I just, I would have expected at least a few of the Elantrians to just be like, you know what? I'll give it a shot. It, yeah, especially Shayor's men, who are basically unstable as it is. It, it seemed to work for that guy, so yeah, why not? The men who were formerly Shayor's men. Right. Um, but I believe we established last week that we just don't ever really see them again. Yep. So, alright, continue. Chapter 38. On the edge of the city, 
A disgruntled Serene watches Raithen preach to a huge crowd. The Sheod and subsequent healing must have been a trick, she thinks, but she can't explain how. After the sermon, she and a handful of her followers go to the docks to greet Siainalin, the Karathi patriarch, who is sort of a spoiled prick. Serene privately explains to the others that Siainalin, a youngish man, was given the position for political reasons and not because he was particularly qualified. They head to the throne room where Roile has put on a funeral befitting the late king's status despite his ignoble end. But when all the flowery speeches are done, Siainalin surprises the crowd by announcing Iodin left a sealed scroll in his care to be read after his death. It's an edict declaring that all noble titles will be frozen as they currently stand, no longer subject to changes in fortune or finances. This strengthens Roile's claim to the throne through marriage to Serene, while simultaneously weakening Telraiai's claim. After the funeral, Serene prepares for the wedding, taking the time for a private meditation and prayer in the Karathi chapel. When she arrives at the wedding and raises her veil, though, people scream. She's been taken by the Sheod. And her hair. Yeah, yeah, she raises her veil, and the hair comes off with it, which is the stuff of nightmares for a woman with long hair. Yep. I mean, I was a dude with long hair for a while, and that wouldn't have gone over well with me. Yeah, I have literally had that dream. <laughs> it's terrifying to imagine. Like, um, I, as I read that, I'm like, oh no, not the Sheod. Oh no, not her hair! <laughs> okay, so I have a few things for this, um, but most of it I don't want to get into until we're into non- or until we're into spoiler territory. Uh, so I do have one quick thing, which is Eddie Redmayne as the uh, as the high priest guy. Oh, he'd be great. Because he's super pretty. He's an incredibly yeah. pretty dude. Yes. So, all right. And on to Horathan's three quarters of a page chapter. <laughs> right. Chapter 39. Horathan watches them lead Serene away. The potion worked. All his plans are falling into place. He privately gloats. All right. So, with this... I'm a little irritated that, like, he felt the need to bring the potion back up. Like, yeah. I feel like this was one that, like, if you didn't get it, then you kind of deserved not to get it. Yeah. You know? Like, we didn't really need the reiteration of, of yeah, potion. Potion here. Potion happened. Hey, potion. But if you take out the paragraph talking about the potion happening, then that chapter becomes even shorter. I, eh. I feel like you could have had Raithen do some stuff. Like, maybe maybe give him a scene with Telraiai, you know? Yeah. Like, Instead of just Telraiai nodded as he walked out of the throne room. Yeah, I just... That happened. It could have been done better, I feel like. Like, like maybe Raithen's like, hey, you're still gonna be king. Chill. You know? Yeah. Like, like ha have him be just, like, super-duper smug about it. You know, what they could have done, because they have done this in other chapters, is have his overlap with Serene's a bit, where, like, oh no, there's going to be a wedding right after the funeral, and then we can have Telraiai panicking and Raithen being like, no, no, we got this, this is going to work. And then we could have Serene's transformation from his point of view. Yeah, that also could have worked. Could have could have fleshed things out a little bit more on 
on Hraithan's side. I almost said padded things out, but that's a different sort of connotation. Right. So, all right. Do we have anything else non-spoilery to talk about? Nope. Okay. Then be warned. Here be spoilers. All right. Uh, so, um, Aedon's cool decree of, uh, like, really intense capitalism followed by, hopefully, stability. Uh, this was a bad plan. This was Why? A, this was a bad plan, and he was a dumb guy. Uh, because he, he basically risked what almost happened of, like, causing so much instability that, you know, his, his brand new, what used to be merchant class, now peasant class, soon to be slave class, would just go ahead and overthrow, you know, the the new nobility because that's that is a long way to fall in ten years. Like it's it's a dumb plan. Um, setting up the stability at the end of the thing, you know, fine. But man, just you're a bad planner. You plan you plan things badly. Like we didn't pick that up from everything else he had done. <sighs> Aidan, you're killing me and yourself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh so what else? Um so next Serene's next thing is two things happen. I probably shouldn't go into this yet because we're going to get to it next week or the week after. I forget how how many chapters she spends in. I think she only spends like two chapters in uh Yeah, it's not very many. Well, we're getting toward the end of the book. She has to get in and get out and move on to the next thing. Yes. We spent a lot of time world building, and then now things have to happen, and we don't have much book left, so they have to happen very quickly. Um, so yeah, what do you have for this? Oh, well, uh, not necessarily for this, but uh, on Reddit this morning, because at the time of recording, this is May 19th, um, there was a funny article about George R. R. Martin, and... Of course, the comments straight into the territory of how he's going to die before he finishes Game of Thrones. And somebody says, well, Brandon Sanderson can finish it for him. But Sanderson has said that he would not want to write Game of Thrones because their styles are so different. Right. So I, I wouldn't want to read. About. I, I wouldn't want to read Game of Thrones as written by Brandon Sanderson. Well, let's talk about why. Um. Well, I mean, it is very much a stylistic thing. Um, you know, Game of Thrones, as written, is, you know, hyper-violent, hyper-sexual, hyper... Like, everything is cranked up to 11 of, like, this is a really dark, terrible, terrible time, and it sucks to be anyone in this time. Uh, but there's dragons, so I guess it's fantasy. Um, but no, Sanderson doesn't write like that. Um, any, any sort of sex in a Sanderson book is, is a lot more implied than stated. Uh, Warbreaker being probably the most sexual of, of his books thus far. And like on screen we get like at its, at its most explicit, uh, a naked woman who bounces on a bed and makes some noises a few times. Right. And like, that's not how Martin do. Um, I mean, as far as violence goes, 
yes, like Sanderson is very good at writing action scenes, but he doesn't really dwell on like the gore aspect of it. Like there's there's some in Mistborn there's some exploration onto like how screwed up it is that Kelsier was so into murdering noblemen and like that was that was an issue. Uh, but it doesn't like dwell on you know how how nasty and sick his his sweet kills were in in like the same way that Game of Thrones does. So it's just they're very different writing styles and they don't they don't interact well. Um Wheel of Time was was a different thing entirely. Um Brandon finishing Wheel of Time made sense because Brandon had been reading Wheel of Time basically his whole life. He was a fan. Um he adjusted his writing style to make it fit better with the Wheel of Time world, and even then there were some rough spots. Like, it wasn't a perfect transition. I think he did an excellent job, but he didn't do the same job that um, Robert Jordan would have done. And honestly, if you're going to have someone finish, um, finish Martin's series, I'd go with Joe Abercrombie. I feel like he's a better fit. I'm not familiar with him. What else has he done? Uh, that is a good question. Let's see if I can pull something up without crashing my freaking computer. Um, he wrote the first Law trilogy, uh, which is the Blade itself and a couple of others that I need to click into a link to find the names of. Before they are hanged, Last Argument of Kings. Um, he wrote one called The Heroes that I actually have sitting on my shelf that I still haven't read. Uh, he wrote, he wrote one called Red Country, which I listened to about half of the audiobook before deciding that it wasn't really for me. Um, but yeah, Joe Abercrombie, from everything I've heard, has a much more similar style to Martin. Like, much more gritty, I don't know, realistic is the right word, but violent. I guess, um, writing style. So, well, so clearly you can have a good fantasy series without all of the sex and violence because Sanderson does that. But do you think the grittiness is what makes game of Thrones so popular? I mean, for me, that wasn't really one of the draws of, of the series. I've read all five books so far. Same. Uh, Um, and I really enjoyed the first three. Same. And I don't want to necessarily trash talk Martin, because I feel like other people have done that plenty. So I'm not going to talk about the fourth and fifth one. Right. Um, but yeah, I feel like the, the grittiness and the, the overt sexuality and like the hyper-violence wasn't really the draw for me. Same. Um, I was honestly a little bit disappointed with the first book. Uh, just because it was sort of set up as fantasy ice zombie apocalypse, and then we ignore that and do all the politics stuff. But on a second read-through, when I was actually paying attention to the politics stuff and not just waiting for it to finish so we can do the ice zombie apocalypse, um, it was way better. So, like, the, the political intrigue was really the draw for me. And, I mean, that was done really, really well. That was That's one of Martin's, like great strengths as a writer is is cool political intrigue which i mean he cribbed it from actual real life 
holy crap nonsense of the War of the Roses, which I don't know if you've ever like looked into the the actual historical happenings, but oh yes, I'm, I don't. I'm a big Shakespeare fan, so uh... I don't know how anyone who was alive then like followed it. I certainly don't. Looking back, it was it was a very confusing time. Um, I, I think the fact that both sides or all the sides yeah really, there were many sides <laughs> were um, they were all god fearing Englishmen you know so the whole time you have all of the lay people fighting each other the church is over here with all of their monks and scribes just kind of recording events and you know even if the monks and scribes had their own political affiliations they were pretty much safe from events you know what i mean sure i think that's the only reason we have such good records of what was a very complicated situation i mean it's basically the plot of seven different soap operas all happening at the same time plus a lot of war and murder right like is that is that a a pretty good breakdown yep yes um so i guess if there's a point that we're getting to in all of this discussion, it is that if I would like to get a fantasy retelling of the War of the Roses, I will play Final Fantasy Tactics. <laughs> oh, yes. Rams is my boy. <laughs> uh, which, by the way, came out the year after uh, the first Game of Thrones book. Coincidence? So, like, Martin beat them to the punch. But, I mean, given video game, like, Given AAA video game dev cycles, like this was being worked on for like four or five years ahead of time. No question. Um, so I have a question for you. Yes. And it actually relates back to Elantris. Um, All right. What? By the way, I flipped ahead and Serene leaves Elantris at the end of 46, beginning of 47. Okay. Okay. So that's, yeah, that's, that's like two of her chapters. Indeed. So, okay. I've got a rough timeline then. Um, so what do you think um, are the requirements for someone to become an Elantrian? I have no idea. It's mysterious and a mystery. Um, all right. Well, the books actually, or the book, I don't know why I said books. There's only one book that cares about Elantris, and that is Elantris. Right. Um, lays out a couple of the rules. Uh, the biggest one of which is you have to be either an Aralon, a Teoish person, or a, uh, what's the other one? The people to the south? Uladel. thank you. Um, you have to be one of those three nationalities, um, and, and that's, that's the only one that's like explicitly laid out, but I feel like we can pick up a few other clues. Uh, would you like to take a guess at any of those? Um, well, clearly it's not related to your station in life. No. I apologize if you hear the tornado siren that they test every Saturday at noon over here. Oh, super cool. We don't um, have those up here. Probably because we don't have real tornadoes up here. Yeah, it, that's it's a thing where where I am. So. Yeah. Um, okay, so... The two shards that were on the planet were Devotion and Dominion. So would you like to extrapolate from there? 
well, does it have anything to do with how devoted you are to something in your life? I think it does. Um, the the few examples that we get where we get like enough backstory on any individual character to you know sort of extrapolate any of this. Rayudin was devoted to leadership. Like yes. he was doing he was spending all day every day being a leader, learning how to be a better leader, leading people, just like trying to be the very best leader he could be. Like that was that was his entire life focus. Um we have Galadon who was very devoted to his farm apparently uh not his farm uh his books his scholarship uh he liked he liked sitting quietly and reading he actually changed his farm over from a traditional farm to an orchard because he assumed that it would be less work so that he would have more time to spend with his books oh yeah he did mention that um which i don't know if you've worked out the logistics of that but holy crap like going from seasonal farming to an orchard, either you're spending a lot of money getting like adult trees that can immediately produce fruit, or you're spending a lot of time not having any money as you, you know, replace your farmland with trees that aren't going or with saplings that aren't going to produce fruit for years. Well, I mean, if your hobby is reading you can do that pretty cheaply, says well, the librarian. I'm, I'm saying he, he like he tank he either spent way more money than I have any reason to believe he ever had, or he tanked his own income intentionally for probably a good decade, uh, just transferring this over bit by bit, just so that he could have a little more time to himself to to spend with his with his books. Yeah, well, I feel like. He could have had money because his father being an Elantrian, uh, you know, they weren't exactly poor. Um, Fair enough. And so maybe he got some kind of inheritance from that. But going with your devotion theory, I think the I'm going to scrimp and save so I can read some books um, that that fits. Um, next up, we have Kereta, who... Uh -huh. Uh, continued her devotion into Elantris of being a mother, caring for children. Like yeah. that was that was her sort of core concept. And we have Saolin, who was a dedicated soldier. Mm -hmm. um, um, we have Aendin. Aendin. Yeah, Taen Aendin was a uh, was was a sculptor. Yeah, um, a famous sculptor. Right. And, and then I was going to say Marishi, who. Um, was the jeweler, a.k.a. the artist, who can do anything. Yep. Um, but with, with Aendin, we actually get uh, a, a couple of different things here. Um, when he was locked in Elantris, and he thought he would never be able to sculpt or experience, you know, that, that sort of art again, he voluntarily went mad. In, like, as, as a preference to never getting to experience this thing that he was devoted to again. And as soon as he was shown that he could still get it, boom, he's, he's better immediately. So, so yes. Do you think that this was part of why Rayadin's new Elantris is so successful 
is because every time someone new shows up, he asks them, well, what can you do? And he gets them doing those things. I, I think that's part of it. Um, I think the bigger part, though, is just getting them working. Like, what it actually says in the novel. I don't know that there's, like, a super deeper meaning there. Just, you know, getting people working on improving their lives instead of focusing on the pain helps them ignore the pain. Because they have, they have now an alternative. Um, so, with your theory, do you think... Devotion is the only one responsible for Elantrians, or does Dominion come into it at all? Uh, I think it's just devotion. But So, like, this is the devotion thing. Well, I mean, timeline-wise, they both would have been out of the picture long before most of this would have taken place. Like, bare minimum, uh, it's like 5,000 years before uh, the events of Elantris is when is is like bare minimum it probably was way longer um but yeah so like there could have been elantrians existing like just sort of coming into being um before they got shattered but i don't know we'll need we'll need definitely more information and a tighter timeline when we get elantris 2 10 years from now right um, but yeah, uh, the, the, the Elantrians, I believe are, if not a hundred percent devotion, then like a vast majority, they get their investiture from the devotion side. Um, whereas on the other end with the, uh, with the Dakor monks, um, we see that as almost entirely dominion because that, that one involves a decent level of human sacrifice. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, back to Elantris. I believe that there is one other aspect. Um, okay, so race comes into it. They've right. got to be devoted to something. And... Um, okay, so this actually gets established in Words of Radiance, which you're not... Are you through with yet? Um... Yeah, I'm done with Words of Radiance. It's Oathbringer I haven't got to yet. Okay. So in Words of Radiance, uh, it is established by Syl that all of the Knights Radiant uh, were broken. Do you remember yeah. that part? Yes, I remember that part. Okay. Do you remember in Mistborn uh, where or how snapping works? Yes. It was a traumatic experience. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure, and this is this is a pretty solid fan consensus uh, that there is some aspect of being broken that is required at least to some degree um, for investiture to take hold um, on Roshar. It looks like it is primarily being emotionally broken. Just, just some, some aspect of your, of, of how you work doesn't really work. Um, Kaladin is, you know, he is my poor baby, and I just want to give him a hug. He he's depressed. Uh, he has. I think I read somewhere that he like fits a lot of the signs of like seasonal seasonal affectation disorder. I'm I'm yeah, I swear that, I'm butchering that. I have to be. No, that's that is correct. Okay. Um, on Scadrial, it's a physical breaking. It's getting beaten nearly to death as a child. Or, uh, if you go out into the mist and 
that is a thing that's active at the time, you get sent seizures bad enough to almost kill you, or, in some cases, actually straight up kill you. Um, on Nalthus, on Warbreaker World, we get the most extreme version, um, which is you have to straight up die. Yeah. Uh, so I'm suggesting that on, on Cell, um, the breaking is a social breaking, where you are, uh, in some way, a, uh, an outcast or a pariah from at least one of your social groups. Okay, I in, can see that. In Raven's yeah. case, it's his family. He's he's right. very much, you know, the black sheep. At odds with his dad. Right. And then Galadin was, uh, he, he felt like he didn't really fit in um, in he his home an, country because of growing up in Elantris. And he was an intellectual farmer, which... It is not a good fit. Right. Um, we don't really get enough from much of anyone else in Elantris on that front to to really like zero in on this, but I feel I feel like my theory here has well, some legs. Like, um, Salen, well, you know, the dedicated soldier. It it was mentioned that he was kind of too old to keep doing it. So you know, if he hadn't been taken by the Sheod, he would have had to retire soon. Sure. So, um, so yeah, I'm I'm suggesting that that the breaking on cell, like the the required for investiture breaking, is uh, primarily social in nature. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Good theory. Okay, I've actually had this discussion with Craig before, and I was hoping he'd be here for it. I may have to bring it up again next week because I don't I don't think I actually sold him on it. Um, but oh, I'm sold on it. I also think I've gotten better at stating my case since then. Well, um, and, and I'm easily swayed, so there you go. Yeah, you're not you're not like quite as as steeped in in all of this as we are. Um, so actually, yeah, well, let's. I mean, as soon as somebody argues the other side, they're going to sway me too. That's <laughs> just how it works. That's okay. Um, so on Warbreaker, uh, since I since I did bring that up for a second. Um, so straight up normal biochromatic breath that everyone gets, I Mm -hmm. don't think counts as investiture, not, not like prime investiture, not for real investiture. You didn't earn that. Okay. Um, I would, I would then say that like actual prime investiture is the, uh, the return. Like you die in some, you die in some extreme notable way. You come back with these vague, fuzzy visions of the future. That's the prime investiture. Everything else is just set up as support for that. That's fair. Okay. I don't really have anything else with that. Mm. Uh, what else you got? You got anything else? Well, I did finally start the next book, um, which I think is Shadows of Self. Oh, nice. Um, it's one of the Mistborn books. I think that's the one. I mean, I've I've said before that I really enjoy Wax and Wayne. Um, I would Wayne say, is hilarious. I love him. Yes, Wayne is wonderful. I would I say that Shadows of Self is probably the weakest of the three thus far. Okay, it's not just me then. Um, I mean, Bands of Morning gets gets really good. Shadows of Self is 
if I'm remembering it correctly, and I have some trouble with this. Every time I've read Shadows of Self, I have immediately moved on to Bands of Mourning, so I don't really have a super good sense of it on its own. Um, because when they came out, they came out like two months apart, because Brandon didn't intend to write two books, but right. but they just sort of happened. Um, so yeah, I just sort of went from one straight to the other. Well, so far, it starts with a pretty action-packed murder rampage at a party, um, and everybody dies. Uh, and so then it moves into the investigation thereof, and uh, that's kind of as far as I've got with that. Okay. Um, oh, so I have, I have, I think, abandoned reading my Dead Tree version of Way of Kings, because I've started the audiobook. Oh, yay. <laughs> um, which the the audiobookers, the the voice actors, I don't... What exactly would you call Michael someone who... Kramer and Kate Redding. Yes, they, they are excellent. Um, they are probably the best in the business as far as, like, fantasy audiobooking. Right. And also, they're married. Yes. Um, they did the Wheel of Time series, which I think kind there of... Was, there was an article about them in one of my Audible newsletters not too long ago. It was a very interesting read. They're super good. I wish Seth was still around because he wants to do voice work like that. And I enjoy talking about the, uh, you know, the requirements and the whatever you'd call it, the parameters. Just it, it's very interesting to me. Um because I do listen to a lot of audiobooks. Yeah. One thing I kind of wish is that they didn't just, like, each do their own chapters. I kind of wish that they sort of, like, cut in on each other's stuff a little bit. Like, with the dialogue and, yeah. and stuff. Like, in the Kaladin chapters, I feel like she should be reading Syl's dialogue. Yeah. Instead of him. Yeah. And, like... In the Shallon chapters, like, he should be reading, you know, like, the male dialogue. Like, she still does 90% of it. You know, she does all of Shallon's everything. She does the narration. She does the, you know, the descriptive work. And then he just sort of cuts in as, you know, the, the, as Taravangian's voice or whatever. Right. Yeah, I think I would prefer that, definitely. But I know how much more work something like that is. Oh, yeah, that would, that would probably triple the workload. Just, Some of just my very favorite way. audiobooks are full cast productions. Uh, there's a full cast production of The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman, and I love The Graveyard Book. I have read it every October since it came out, huh. um, sometimes twice. And, oh, I love that full cast audio version. I love it. Weird. All of the uh, Neil Gaiman audiobooks that I've listened to were actually done by Neil Gaiman. Yeah, well, there is... Um, there is a version that I, I think is just narrated by him and that came out first. And then the full cast audio was, um, it came out later as like an anniversary or something. I don't know. Um, but I do like Neil Gaiman as a narrator. I, I Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not upset at it. He's got a super smooth voice. Yes. There, there are a lot of authors that, you know, when it says narrated by the author, I'm like, okay, I'm fine with this. Um, and he's one of them. He, um, there's also a full cast audio of American Gods. And, um, 
I don't know who the cast is because it's not listed on the on the the cover or the website or anything. But the guy doing Wednesday sounds just like Ian McShane, who <laughs> plays it, Wednesday in the it might in the be. show. Um, are are those all like the BBC like audio dramas kind of thing? Uh. No, where, I, I don't where, like, think they st- there, st- there are BBC audio dramas um, that I like, but uh, those tend to be, it, it's basically like they take all the dialogue and do, do it like a play. Um, full cast audio production is usually the unabridged book, and you'll have narrator reading all the between bits, but every line of dialogue is assigned to, like, somebody is cast in that role, and some poor audio editor out there is cutting them all together. Okay. Um, another thing that I've, I've listened to a little bit is, uh, I forget what they're actually called and completely blank on it. There was one of Warbreaker, but like, it wasn't just straight up audiobook. They had like extra sound effects and background music and, and junk. Yeah. Some full cast audios do that. Um, but not a lot. I like when they do like, and there was a crash, and then you hear a crashing noise, or you know they could hear the music from the party, and you hear music in the background. Um, I enjoy those, but there are not very many. Well, uh, from what I've learned from editing this show, um, just like cutting down what we do to something you know listenable, re- removing pauses, fixing audio issues cutting out uh things like that uh um yeah like it's it's a lot of work and then adding like you have got to be doing it for a living getting paid as your job and not just as a hobby you know what i mean yeah (laughs) like um but like adding all that extra stuff in seems like so much more work yeah and i just for for so so little extra benefit like it's a little bit more immersive but not much more like i can i can totally get lost in a regular old audiobook where it's just one person talking like if the story's good i'm good yes the so. story and the narrator um because i'll tell you what i did the audio version of um the gregor the overlander series by suzanne collins uh, a very fun fantasy series, if you're not familiar with it. Um, I'm not familiar with it. Well, okay. Gregor is a, a young man from the city, uh, lives in an apartment with his family. Uh, one day he's down in the basement of the apartment complex doing laundry, and uh, his, I think, two-year-old sister uh, goes through a grate in the wall, like just crawling around playing and she falls basically down the rabbit hole into wonderland, except it's not wonderland. It's, um, it's this underground civilization. And Gregor of course falls down after her trying to rescue her, um, underground civilization with cities and an, an entire kingdom where people ride around on giant bats and they're at war with the giant rats and there are giant cockroaches and there's this whole war with the rats going on and and gregor is thrust into the middle of it because there's a prophecy 
about how someday the Overlander will save them. And because he has fallen down from above, they think he's it. And so it's a great series, five books um, from Suzanne Collins before she did The Hunger Games. And oh, okay. Delightful. I loved it. It was, it was so fantastic. The audio did not do it for me at all. I just felt like the narrator was kind of phoning it in. Like, not a lot of expression, not a lot of different accents for the different characters. It, mm, but definitely read them. They're fantastic books. Yeah. Um, I actually recently finished the first Mistborn trilogy on audiobook. And I have exactly one complaint on it, which okay. is that the 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 guy readings um, take on Spook's accent. I I did not enjoy. Um, well, it, I thought the demeanor was pretty spot on, kind of mumbling and. Yeah, no the the demeanor is great, but he had like a drawl, and that messed me up. I just I couldn't do it. That's I mean, fair. obviously, obviously, I finished you know all three, whatever. Um, but like Spook's much bigger role in the third book meant that I had to hear him listen to that draw. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and it just it wasn't working for me. I loved all the excuses he found to fit little French accents in there um, with yes. Demu and some of the other soldiers. And well, I mean, Mistborn is basically like Dickens era Paris, but yeah, but fantasy. Yes. Where, you know, you 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 eat your Flintstones kids multivitamins and you get superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Just Now with I, all the French names, I, I just like how the narrator brought in the French accents. I felt like that was that was good. I mean it, it should have been way Frenchier. Like it should have been <laughs> it it should have been like Agatha Christie's Poirot as every character. Which have you listened to any like Poirot um, audiobooks? <laughs> yes. yes, I have. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> they're so good. I um, I actually I didn't listen to the audio, but I reread Murder on the Orient Express before the new movie came out uh, this past fall, and um, because I love Kenneth Branagh, he's fantastic. Um, there actually is a Kenneth Branagh audiobook. Like where where he does the audiobook of I love Murder him on the Orient narrator. Express. He recently did um, Heart of Darkness. Like they had that um, free streaming from Audible on uh, Amazon devices, and uh, I have an Echo, so listened to that while I was putting laundry away and doing other things around the house. And yeah, I like everything he does. Neat. He's great. If he's in a movie, if he's directing a movie, if he's producing a movie, I'm fine with it. I suspect that he's a big reason why I enjoyed the first Thor. I agree. Because, like, looking back on it, like, plot-wise, there's not a lot going on there. Um, and when but, I saw that he was on board for that, I did a little dance. <laughs> but, like, yeah, just, like, the whole the whole style and, like, you know, Thor's whole thing is he's basically a Shakespeare character with superpowers. Yeah. But, but on modern day Earth. And as someone who grew up reading comic books and also grew up to really love Shakespeare, I'll tell you, Thor was back then one of my least favorite Marvel characters. Really? I just 
I was not on board for the Avengers at all. I was much more of an X-Men fan. Well, but yeah. the way the movies have gone, I've totally flipped it around. Well, that's because the X-Men were the ones that were actually like being well-written at the time. <laughs> right, right. Like, nobody cared about the Avengers because they weren't a super team worth caring about. Like Exactly. You, you, your Marvel A-list was the X-Men, your DC A-list was the Justice League, and that's it. That's all that mattered. And see, as far as DC goes, I only read Batman. Yeah. I didn't read anyone else. Yeah, I've never really super been into DC. Same. I feel like they have a power level issue. <laughs> well, like, every, every character is either literally a god, or... Uh, it's, it's a dude who has money, but he can totally still stand toe-to-toe with all of these literal, literal gods. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Because money. That's how money works. Yeah. I assume. Yeah. I don't have that much of it. <laughs> um, so anything going on librarian-wise? What was that? Anything going on librarian-wise? Well, librarian-wise, we are getting ready for the summer reading program. It's uh, a little stressful. It's oh. a lot stressful. Oh my gosh, it's so stressful. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> we we really just want everyone to visit the library and use your library. Like, get your library card. Um, most cities, your library card is free because your property taxes are already paying for everything. You're literally already paying for this thing. There is no reason not to use it. I'm going to be 100% honest here. I primarily use my library in the summertime when I have the kids because that's sort of a, like, I really try to encourage them to read as much as possible. Um, and so that's sort of what I do when they're not here. Um, I only have my kids for the summer, but when they're not here, um, I'm still reading. I'm just rereading almost exclusively Mm. like i have i have about 20 or 30 books that i just rotate i kind of do that too um actually you know what that number is way bigger yeah my number is pretty big but i'm definitely reading the same things over and over again as i get older because there's there's the sanderson stuff which you know primarily caused me but i i i put the other stuff in there too um uh, the Rhythmatist primarily is is such a great one to reread. Uh, then there's Dresden Files. Yeah, uh, Dresden Files. Every once uh, in a while, I will try to I will try to get a Wheel of Time thing going again, and usually stall out on the second book. But whatever. Right. Um, this world series, of yep. course. I, I go I back. Tell you how many times I've read Reaper Man in my life. I go back through my my handful of of Discworld books that I that I feel are really like top tier. And another Pratchett classic would be Nation. I think I read that one. I the little boy th- on the island. Yeah, I don't think I really enjoyed it all that much. Oh my gosh! It, to me, it is an example of a perfect book. Um, I love everything about it. Yeah, when the I ending is just so perfect. When I go for Pratchett, um, I primarily do uh, the City Watch books, um, yeah. which I kind of stick to like the later end ones. Um, so really, I do because Guards, Guards, and Men at Arms would be my favorite. Of didn't those. really get into either of those. Like I've read them both. Uh, same with Feet of Clay, but 
I primarily stick to like Jingo, um, Thud, Nightwatch. Yeah, those three. Those three are really my core. Uh, then the first two, Moist Fun, Lip Vig. Right. Love him. Didn't care for him in Raising Steam. I've already discussed my issues with that one. Yeah, it, I really feel like the Alzheimer's had affected him too deeply by the time we got that far. Yeah. There's was... a there's a noticeable decline in the writing style. It's a shame, but is a shame. Sir Terry will continue to live on in in these amazing works that he's already made. Um new Terry Pratchett. And then uh Unseen Academicals is always a fun one. And Thief of Time is a oh. favorite. Yeah, Thief of Time like pairing that up with Nightwatch is a great way to go. Let's just name all the Discworlds. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm pretty much at the end of of like my core Discworld enjoyment. Like, I never really got okay. into the Rincewind books. You tried back in college. You tried to get me into into Color of Magic and the yes. other one. Um, no, I I would agree that the, like, of fantastic. all of the Discworld books, the Rincewind titles are kind of the I don't want to say the weakest, but thematically different from the others like they're more silly they're more monty python-esque yeah um whereas the others have the humor in them but while still addressing some very serious topics um so, what else is on my on my rotation on my rotation well i've got to mention the last unicorn which i have read more than 200 times holy crap dude that was when I stopped keeping count. I, um, well, the cartoon came out when I was a little tiny baby. And, uh, so of course I grew up watching it. And when I discovered, um, in middle school that it was a book, I found it in the school library, just randomly browsing the shelf. And there's that title. And I thought, oh my gosh, is it the same book? And it, and it was it. And so. My parents bought a copy for me for Christmas, and every time I finished reading it, I started over and read it again. Like, in and among and between all the other things I was also reading, um, I would just every now and then pick it up and read a few pages. And uh, so I have read it so many times in my life that I've read through four copies. Um, and just, I read them until they fall apart, and then I get a replacement. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, the the rest of my rotation is uh, The Martian by Andy Weir. I will always continue reading The Martian, and I think The Princess Bride is going to be the last thing I I throw on here. Yeah, I have read that more than once, but I wouldn't say it's one of my regular rereads. Um, now, one that I do that you haven't mentioned, and this this might seem a little out of character for me, but World War Z. Okay. I have read that so many times. I just think it's a perfect analysis of humanity in a crisis. Sure. Um, I bought it. I read it once. Uh, I have seen the movie. I'm not sure that they deserve the same name. Yeah, they do not. They're not related at all. They're, they both have zombies in them. Um, I also have the, the, similarities end. the zombie apocalypse survival guide. Yes, of Which, course. Same author, same, I assume, zombie apocalypse. Right. Um, but. And 
If you're not aware, Max Brooks is actually Mel Brooks' son. Yeah, but that's not really apparent in, in like, the style. No, it's not. Like, the the zombies don't put on a play about Hitler to try to tank their ticket sales in a tax fraud scheme. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> um, uh, ooh, um, another really good author who is the son of a really good author is uh, Joe Hill. Have yeah. You read, have you read any of his stuff? Yes, but I feel like the stylistic uh, influence is apparent in that one. It's a little closer. Joe is yeah. way better at like finishing out a premise instead yes. of dropping it two-thirds of the way through and then just sort of letting the book finish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but Joe I, Hill... I definitely feel like he's got daddy's knack for the genre. Joe Hill's son of Stephen King, by the way. Yes. Um, I would say the best thing he's done, in my opinion, is a comic book series called Lock and Key. Have you read that? I have not read that. I will have to look into it. Oh, it's very, very good. Um, the art is done by Gabriel Rodriguez, and it's incredibly phenomenal. Um, but yeah, just, ah, uh, it's very, very good. I well, don't want to say anything because there are... I will for sure look that up because I like Joe Hill and I like comic books, as has been mentioned previously. In fact, the next book on my reread all the time list that I read over and over and I love it, Watchmen. Okay. Um, sure. That's all you have to say about Watchmen? Well, I mean, I have a lot more to say about Watchmen, but... Okay. Uh, all right. So Watchmen is good. Uh... It also is on, like, every single list of you have to read this comic book because it's good. Because it's good. But it's not there. I can point to a handful of other things that I that I have read, and I haven't really dived super deep into comic books. And, and they are all, like, significantly better than Watchmen. Like, Lock and Key is so much better than Watchmen. Um, Sandman. I mean, Sandman is kind of on another level. Yeah, like, Sandman is is tough to compare stuff to because right. it's so good. It's so good. It's also so long, and Watchmen you can knock out in an hour. <laughs> um, I would say Fables uh, is better than Watchmen right up until it isn't anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, which, if, like... Just keep reading fables until you don't want to anymore, and that's that's the spot. And once you get there, let me know, because I'm pretty sure we're at the same spot. That's true of everything, really. <laughs> um, there's Rick Remender's run on uh, Uncanny X-Force. Um, was just, like, mind-bogglingly great. Uh, which, if you're a fan of Deadpool at all, definitely check it out. He's in this. He's way, He's way more serious than normal, but... It's it is absolutely worth reading. Um, blip blip blip. What else we got? Comic booky that was really really good. Um, oh, Brian Clevenger, uh, who did Eight Bit Theater and Atomic Robo. Oh, yes. Atomic Robo is Atomic obviously Robo. like that one never stopped being good. Never. Um, but he did a like a one shot of. Uh, the Infinity Gauntlet plotline, or not a one-shot, I think it was like four four issues or something. Um, anyway, 
he did a really great retelling of of the Infinity Gauntlet plotline, which we obviously see in the in this very recent movie. Um, that featured, you know, Doctor Doom uh, blasting his way through a door, and all of the all of the heroes trying to fight him because he just blasts his way or not through a door through a wall, and it was just how he enters rooms. That's like they started fighting him because he blew up a wall, but but that's just how that's just how Doom do Doom do. Um, it featured U.S. Ace, the superhero truck driver who drives through space. And I guess what I'm saying is that it is infinitely better than the incredibly good movie for these reasons. Oh, I don't know about that. You haven't read the book. Yeah, I will have to look into it. It's very, very good. Um, yeah, like all of these, I would say, are better objectively than Watchmen. And they don't have Alan Moore, who is a legitimate crazy person, tied to yeah. them. Yes, he is a crazy person. So, so there's that bonus. Um, but yeah, so I think we've spent most of our hour twelve now not talking about the Cosmere. So you wanna you wanna just knock it off right now? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it turned into a giant good thing episode, which I'm okay with. Sure. Um, so uh, yeah. Yeah. We we will resume the Cosmere deep diving. In the next episode. I would be surprised if this ends up at more than an hour after editing. So. Right. Because you'll have to edit out the part where I said I like Watchmen, apparently. <laughs> oh, no. That's that's staying in. You're allowed okay. to like Watchmen. It is good. Just I don't know that it deserves all of the acclaim that it gets. Because it, it does fair. like consistently top these lists of, hey, you don't read comic books? Well, you should... 100% read this comic book. And no, there's better I stuff. I think so much of that is because it's self-contained. Like, it's the one book and then you're done. Um, so many really good superhero graphic novels have a wider appeal to people who already have read other stuff with that hero in it. Uh, even if it is a good pickup point for someone who's not familiar with say, the Avengers, you know, um, people who aren't familiar with those heroes when they walk into the graphic novel section at the bookstore are going to be intimidated by all of those titles. And then someone hands them this one and says, yeah, but it's standalone. This is the whole thing right here. It's really hard to top that. Oh, hey, just remembered another one. Bone. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Bone. Love it. Uh, Bone is standalone. It's also like 900 pages in one really just enormous brick of a graphic novel. I mean, it originally came out in smaller volumes, but yeah, you can get it all in one. And I have. I do. It's upstairs right now. It's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, Bone Bone is definitely better than Watchmen. I, uh, you know what? I think I agree with you there. And Bone has the benefit of being all ages, so, you know, it's... It's good for everyone, where Watchmen very much isn't. You know what? Um, a series that I've really enjoyed, it's its not on my reread all the time list, but definitely read it at least once. I think you'll like it, is Zeta the Space Girl by Ben Hotkey. Okay, that one's new on me. Yeah, Z-I-T-A. There's, uh, I think, three books in the series, and, and then it's it's done. 
Um, but I, I love his artwork. I love the story. And, um, also, I don't know if any of your kids are girls, but strong, independent female main character. Uh, my, um, my youngest is, is in fact a girl. And she's how old? Uh, she is 12. Perfect age for it. Uh, she is actually not going to be joining us for the summer. She's going to band camp instead. Oh. Uh, she should be back next summer. Well, recommend that one to her because it is a fantastic series. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to cut it out here. Good place. Um, so yeah, enjoy swimming and pizza and cake and video games and a movie with Matt one day this summer because you can because you're adults. Yep. Um, and have a good one, Internet. Good night, Internet. Bye. Bye. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Thank you.